You may be seated. Not afraid to die, oh brave Sir Robin. He was not afraid of it, we killed the nasty ways. Spitzer burns into a pulp. But he's have his eyes gouged out, or his elbows broken. Goes flipped and his body burned away. <laughs> Removed in his bowels and plugged. <laughs> yes, it does. It's, uh, we'll, we'll get the, you'll, you'll learn why, it, why I showed this video <laughs> in a moment. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <clears throat> All righty, well. <laughs> the, the, the wife would like to say that she had no hand in this. So <laughs> uh, well, just as a, as a way to, to introduce, uh, before we get to our scripture passage, uh, if you haven't been with us for a while, I've seen some, some new faces in the room. Uh, we've been walking through for over a year now the book of Luke, the gospel according to Luke. Uh, <clears throat> just kind of as a, as a quick wrap-up introduction to where we are today. So the theme of it is Jesus is for everyone. And this is the gospel of Luke written by a Gentile years after. And he what Luke did is he's a... a, a professional he walked he went around to different people that encountered Jesus and he wrote their story he was basically a biographer of other people's stories and he went and he researched and he got all this information about who experienced Jesus I want to go talk 
to them. And the reason why we have Luke 1 and 2 of the account of Jesus' birth was because he talked to who? Mary. Mary. He talked to Mary, and so that's literally her testimony of the birth of Jesus in chapters 1 and 2. And so all these stories that we hear, all these, the narratives that we hear from Scripture are from the people who they happened to or people who were there when it happened. Uh, and so all this is eyewitness testimony in Luke. So this is actually one great work, the first one being Luke, and the second act, the second half being the book of Acts. So it's basically the Acts of Jesus and then the Acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit is the two parts, to the two bookends of Luke's writings, his Luke's works. <clears throat> and so one of the main themes is that all the way through is that Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. This is Jesus' mission on earth. Jesus' mission is to come and bring the kingdom, to preach the kingdom message, and to, keep, and to do the, the, the kingdom mission, which is healing and bringing restoration and, uh, of God's shalom, God's flourishing to earth through healing and through restoring that which is broken. Uh, and so all the way through, we're seeing this great, powerful call of Jesus because Jesus has, a couple chapters ago, a few months ago, turned his face toward Jerusalem. So this whole section between now and the crucifixion is Jesus' face being, being pointed toward Jerusalem. And so this is the crux of Jesus' ministry. Right here, these, these several chapters, right in the middle of Luke, is the crux of his ministry. This is when he was teaching the most and teaching the richest stuff because he knew that his time was short. Weeks, if not months, you know, months, if not weeks or days up to this point that we're at here today. So this is Jesus's kind of exclamation point in this whole passage here, in this whole kind of ramping up to this. So if you would uh, stand with me for the honoring of God's word, because I want to make sure that we remember that this is the God, this is God's word. This is what is authoritative in our lives. This is the, the final authority in all things that pertain to life, godliness, the, the church, and just are the way that we live, the way that we understand and know God. So this is the authority. So let's read here. We're going to be in chapter 14, and verse, starting in verse 25. <clears throat> now, great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him and saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. <laughs> or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one that comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Well, now, salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Jesus, we pray that we would have ears to hear what you are saying to us, your church. Seeing, to hear what you are saying to us here this morning about the goodness of following you, Lord, that you came to seek and to save those who are lost. And Lord, I pray that you'd open up your word to us here this morning. Open up my mouth that I may speak your words. 
for us to be encouraged and lifted up and challenged here this morning to walk in the way, the truth, and the life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. So I love, if you have not figured it out, I love Baylor football. Anyone missed that point? You know, I love Baylor football. Right. We are Sugar Bowl champions this year. Big 12 champions this year. It was a good year for Baylor football. Uh, <clears throat> and I love fettuccine Alfredo. Man, I tell you, the carbs, mm, love it. That's uh, probably why I was 315 pounds at one point. <clears throat> and I love hiking, backpacking, camping, floating, hunting, everything outside. I love being outside around a campfire. One of my favorite times in all of life is sitting around a campfire with friends, with family, just shooting the breeze, making s'mores, burning some hot dogs or some sausages, wrapping them in a tortilla. Yes, you wrap those sausages into hot dogs and tortillas. You'll change your life. Throw a little bit of mustard on there. (laughs) Because we don't have very many words for love in the English language, I also love my family. Not like I like a hot dog around a campfire, but I love my family. I love my friends. I love you, the church. I love our city. And when I, when I looked out our window, when Amberlynn said that the granary was on fire, I looked out the window and I had a sadness come over me because I love our city. And I knew that that was going to be a big, big blow to our economy. I love, 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 and because there's not a stronger English word, I love Jesus. I love the Lord. Love the Lord. I love his word. Do you hate anything? Anyone? So I went on a date with Anne Berlin, um, and she got the beet and root hash. And I was looking across at her. I was like, you got what? I hate, hate, loathing for beets. They need to stay in the ground where they belong. They are fertilizer, not food. (laughs) And I hate raw tomatoes. Love ketchup. Love marinara sauce. I hate raw tomatoes. I've tried I've tried. And even after, after I lost all that weight, I hate raw tomatoes. Reminds, <laughs> Reminds me of mulch. <clears throat> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. I also hate murder. I hate violent crime. I hate addiction. I hate when you're eating popcorn and you get a kernel like stuck right in there. hate it. And I hate, let me see if I can wrap all of my absolute 100% loathing and hatred and all of my murderous thoughts wrapped up into this. I hate, I hate Lucifer. I hate the devil. I hate Satan. If you don't have a hatred for Satan, you ain't doing it right. That is where we can take all of our hatred, all of our violence within our entire being and funnel it into one place, and that is the author 
of hatred himself. Satan. Think about the things that you hate. Think about the things that you love. Are there things that you love in this life? We, can, we are such incredibly created beings in this world that we can both love and hate. That God is in both. He's in the sadness and the frustration and the hatred. He's in the love, the joy, the happiness, and the hope. And he felt both. And so this passage wraps up both of, these pa- both of these concepts in one entire passage. So the point here this morning is fish or cut bait. Fish or cut bait. Now, you know, there are several things that we might tie into this concept. You know, you know other, other phrases that I was toying around with having to do with being, you know, being in the bathroom or getting off things like pots and things like, you know. But... You know, Jesus is wrapping up this whole passage here this morning in this phrase, fish or cut bait. This is the continuation of this theme. If you, if you haven't, if you want to catch up, we've, we've been talking about this concept of allegiance and, and devotion to him over these last several months. Because it's Jesus' theme in his preaching and in, in his teaching and his message and his mission is complete and utter allegiance pledged to him and to him alone. Complete and utter devotion to him and the Lord God, his Father. Allegiance and devotion. This is the, as my son would say, exclamation point that he's learning in school. This is the exclamation point of Jesus' entire teaching and during up to this point. Jesus' ministry call to follow him. To do not fear, but stay faithful. This has been the title of, this, of these last few months of sermons. Faithfulness, following, right? And this, there's a theme, because it's Jesus who created the theme. Well, I guess Luke, but. Of these last chapters, we have seen, as we said, Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem. He is intent on fulfilling the mission and the message that he came to bring. He is determined. It's like, I will accomplish it. And no, nothing and no one is going to get in my way. There, there are several phrases like, like this, but I chose to, to, to use fish or cut bait. Jesus is saying, this is your last shot. Get on board or get out to his followers. Now, let's, let's walk through this a little bit. He says to the crowd, he said, great crowds were what? Following him. They were with him. They were traveling. They had heard his messages and they were curious. They were following him. Thousands upon thousands of people were following him. This may have been where we get to John chapter 6, where basically Jesus is, you know, the great crowds are following him. And he has, he basically says, eat me. Eat my body and drink my blood, for my body is true food and my blood is true drink. Hard teachings. Following up with this one, to hate all these things. And we'll get to that in a second here. But he's called all the crowds to follow him. And this is a crux of, of this moment where the thousands fall away and stop following him. See in Roman, in, uh, I'm sorry, in John chapter 6. Thousands, the, ma- the majority of the great crowd walked away and stopped following him from that day forward. 
How do we know this? Because at the time of the Lord's Supper of the Passover, when they, when they arrive in Jerusalem, there's only 120 people still following him. So thousands walked away. Because we know that the great crowd, after feeding the 5,000, after all these different travels, was up to about 5,000 or 4,000 just men, not counting women and children, and donkeys and camels and sheep. And goats. But so there's only about 120. Jesus is dropping the hammer. With what? One word. Hate. So interesting that people are like, oh, Jesus would never call me to hate anything. But, let's talk about, we're going to talk about hate. But I thought Jesus was all about love. Talk about, we're going to talk about this concept and what he's getting at. So there's two words in the scripture I want to really point out. So the first one is the word for hate, miseo, versus love, which is agape that he uses in, this pa- in, in passages like this. So miseo, sounds almost Chinese, miseo. <laughs> there's an active and a passive hatred that he's talking about. Um, and so let's talk about the active portions of, portions of hatred. In our world, in our, in our English language, hatred is usually typified as overt, active. De- I detest you, I detest this, I detest beets, and I detest tom- raw tomatoes, and I detest little corn kernels, and I hate injustice, and I despise you. It's an active hatred, right? Active. Desiring harm, wanting to destroy Versus passive, and this is where we're talking about in our passage here this morning. Passive hatred is more of a deflation of your devotion to something or someone. It is a loss of favor to forsake or to withdraw your allegiance. Or to simply shift your priorities away from uh, someone or something to something or someone else. It is a shift Versus agape, which is a, what's the complete opposite of that. It is a, a devotion to. So the word agape, like I said, is, is more, I, would believe, I believe, is more attuned to the Hebrew word chesed, which is a steadfast, loyal devotion toward. It's a faithfulness, a loyal love, as the Old Testament um, uh, translates. Your steadfast love endures forever. This whole psalm. For great is the Lord, and your mighty works, and for the love of the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. They just keep repeat, repeating that line. If you go and observe Passover of uh, Passover Seder, toward the end you recite this entire pro, uh, psalm that it just is you reciting the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. Your steadfast love endures forever. That is what agape is. It is a steadfast devotion and full allegiance to something or someone. It is a choice that you've made that no matter what, I choose to love. I choose to be devoted, to be faithful to someone or something. Allegiance and devotion versus abandonment and denunciation. Denouncing things or someone. So in our passage here this this morning, Jesus is, is meaning this quite literally. And I think this has kind of been, 
And I don't want to, I don't want to abolish this. You know, this is what I believe, you know, believe Jesus is saying. I don't want to abolish this. I don't want to say that this is not a spiritual call uh, on people's lives. And that's why it's in the passage. Like, because there still has spiritual implications, which we'll get to later. But this is, for this moment, contextual. Jesus is saying this to real people in a real time for a real reason. For a literal reason. Which is why thousands of them fall away. And so let's look at this literal thing. It's not, you know, um, so let's talk literal, cultural, right? Let's look at this. What's going on? So this word that he uses, mathetes, uh, is follower or disciple, learner, someone who is with him, who is following uh, him along this mission. He's a worker in the kingdom of God, actively. Uh, because what's happening? He has turned his face to Jerusalem and... They're not just spiritually going to Jerusalem. Oh, I'm going to the, the Jerusalem of my, of my life. No, he, they're literally going to Jerusalem. They're actually going to Jerusalem. And he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me to the literal Jerusalem where I'm literally going to die. And he said this like three times. I think he's going to say it again in, in the chapters ahead. So they're getting there. They're getting to the very end of Jesus' ministry on earth. And guess what? It is about to get real. Stuff is about to hit the fan. It is about to get very hard. However, people, here's the thing. It's going to get real hard. But, I love this, I love, but. But, however, people who go with them from this point on will be able to, to see and to experience so many incredible things. Think about this. From this point on, let me, you can even like follow, follow this in your, in your Bibles here. You can kind of turn your pages with me as you see this. The healing of blind Bartimaeus outside of Jericho. The healing of the ten lepers. Right? God's redemption of a chief tax collector with Zacchaeus in Jericho. They get to see the resurrection of Lazarus. They get to honor and worship Jesus during his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They get to hear his teachings in the temple for that entire week. They, they get to hear him kind of mocking the Pharisees and kind of, you know, kind of jabbing them with his little, you know, wordsmiths, right? And, and, you know, basically correcting people that no one else would ever dare to step up to. And he's like, he's like roasting them in front of everyone. It's epic, right? They get to hear his, his they get to hear his teaching in the temple. They get to experience Passover with Jesus and his 12 disciples in the upper room. They get to hear the words, eat this, for this is my body. Drink this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Commune with me. There's nothing greater in this first part that, than, than they get to simply be with Jesus. They get to be with God. They get to walk and talk, and commune, and eat with Jesus. And then they get to hear his teaching and his prayers in the temple that night on their way to the garden. Then, here's the turn. This is where it gets hard. Then, they'll experience his betrayal and his arrest in the garden. Now, they weren't necessarily, all of these disciples weren't necessarily there for all of these, but several were kind of in and out. You know, they were there for the trial of Jesus, the scourging of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, because there were several that stood far off and they watched the whole thing. They watched 
their Messiah. They watched who they believed and loved. They loved Jesus. And they heard his screams. They saw the mocking crowds. And their hearts broke. They experienced the crucifixion of their Lord. They experienced the burial of Jesus. Several got to participate. And then they also experienced hiding together. They were all afraid. And they were in that, they went back to the upper room and they were hiding in the upper room. Hiding from the Jews, hiding from the Romans. But God rose from the dead and they got to experience his resurrection. They got to be there. They got to hear the testimony of the women running to them saying, He is risen! He is alive! The angels told me that he is alive and I got to see him. Not only that, but Mary was like, I got to touch him. (laughs) They got to experience the risen Jesus. They got to touch him. They got to hear him. They got to be breathed on by him and encouraged. Then they got to be a part of his teaching and his presence for over 40 days. They also got to be there when he ascended. They got to watch him flow it off. They got to watch him and hear the message and the calling to go and make disciples of all nations. And then, but also he said, you know, they they got to be a part of the return to Jerusalem to stay. Why? Because they were waiting. Because then they got to experience what? The full-on pouring out of God's Holy Spirit, pouring out of His grace, pouring out of His mercy, pouring out of His love on people. And they got to hear Peter give his first amazingly great sermon. They're just like, who is this guy? Who is that? That's got to be the Holy Spirit because this dude was a coward before. But now he has changed. And now I'm changed because I'm seeing and I'm hearing this. I get to experience all this stuff. This is amazing. And then they got to be a part of the first explosion of the early church. Explosion of the gospel. Explosion of the gospel into all the world, into into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, into the every ends of the earth. They got to be a part of it. The ones who stuck it out. The ones who gave up everything. But I want to make sure that we understand this passage here this morning correctly. Jesus is not saying if you walk away, you lose your salvation. Jesus is not saying that, you know, you're out of the kingdom of God forever. You've lost it all. You, oh, you gave it up. You're done. Many of these people are the ones who would hear and believe in the gospel after the resurrection and after the message of the resurrection returned to Galilee. There were several people in in Jerusalem during the time of the festival. Many of them who may have been part of this crowd who were saying, Hosanna, oh yeah, I remember Jesus, oh yeah, Hosanna, were then the ones who turned and said, crucify him. The very ones that later after his resurrection said, holy are you, Lord. You are resurrected and I believe. 
But doesn't matter how far away you roam, God always is welcoming you back. His grace is sufficient for you. No matter what, his arms are wide and ready to welcome you home, to show you his love and affection in an evil and wicked world and generation, including oftentimes even God's own people. Pharisees who were burning God's people. They were using and abusing the sheep that God had entrusted them to. And God, and Jesus came down and he bestowed his mercy to make followers, disciples, learners, people who had experienced the lavish love of God in their lives, even though they may have walked away. Other times in your life where you feel like you've walked away, gotten dis- discouraged, gotten angry, just gave up on the church, gave up on... Maybe, maybe I'm just too far outside of God's love for him to, to welcome me back again. You're never too far gone. And churches are imperfect. Churches aren't perfect. Leaders aren't perfect. I am not perfect, you guys. Dear Lord, I'm not perfect. I hope you, I hope you understand that. I, I don't always do things the right way. There are times when I can be not great. There are things, I have blind spots. You know, I'm, for all intents and purposes, I'm a pretty young pastor. And I'm so, hey, I'm, guys, I'm so thankful for the grace that you guys have given me over these last four years. I'm so grateful for the grace that you've given me. And I feel like I'm growing. I think you, I've hopefully, you've seen my growth <laughs> over the last four years. And we're growing together. And that's what life is all about, growing and getting better, getting more mature, growing up. It's not about attaining to this perfection and just like sustaining there. It's about growing and maturing and being honest with ourselves that we suck sometimes and being willing to say, but I can reconcile well. I can humble myself and say, I did that wrong. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you got missed out. I'm sorry if you don't feel connected. I'm sorry if if, if I haven't ministered to you specifically. And so... We create this culture of grace because God is a God of grace. And the, and the church is, is, you know, ought to be a place where we do reconciliation well. That's why the Bible says all the time, one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. It's all about the one another and how we interact with one another because the Holy Spirit is ministering through us one to another. Getting glory from, you know, from us, the church, to him. Worshiping his name honoring his name and loving and serving one another. And so Jesus says, he doesn't say, in this passage, he's like, you cannot be my disciple. This word hate, right? You renounce your own father, mother, wife, children. I want to be the most important thing in your life. There's, there's this, this reality here. And how does, he, how does he wrap this section up? He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So bearing his own cross <clears throat> and come after me. Again, remember the very literal sense of come with me, it's going to get hard and I'm going to die. But guess what? You're going to be wrapped up in my crucifixion with me as I go through it. Why? Because you're going to run in fear. 
But it's, a, it's this willingness. There's this willingness of, of the heart. The allegiance and devotion of, of our spirits. The willingness to, to be abandoned by everyone. I know specific people who have come to faith within the last year. Every single one of their friends and family has disowned them. And all they have is their church family and the brothers and sisters in Christ that they've made over the last year. And I'm so incredibly blessed to be journeys. Because they lost everything. Because in this culture, they could lose family, friends, jobs, life themselves. So willingness to, for one's life to be interrupted and even suffer and die for the gospel. And this is what he's wrapping it up to. Like the, the cross, he kind of goes in further and he describes this with the, the two parables of the, the, the tower builder and going to war. Right? So this is basically him saying, count the costs. I want you, Jesus, I want you with me. I want you to come, but there's a cost. You got to give up everything. There's a, you count the cost. Fish or cut bait. Count the cost of following great, of Je- I'm sorry. The cost of following Jesus is great, but the rewards are greater. I love singing songs like the one, the second one, God, you are greater. Or even like Chris Tomlin's song, Our God is Greater. Right? Did you know that the, that the, the word that, uh, that Muslims yell when they're about to um, accomplish jihad, Al-Akbar, means, God, our God is, means Allah is greater? And so I love any song, any chance we ever get to say, Our God is greater. Jesus is greater. Of course, we don't kill people for in the name of our gospel. We love people and forgive people and die ourselves for the gospel. We die to ourselves. What our human nature wants, the comfort and the ease of the Western mindset and, and mentality. And honestly, guys, the easiest way to die to this culture is to just relax and to rest and not get caught into the hustle and bustle, caught into the busy. It's like a mark of virtue that, oh, yes, I'm just, I'm just so busy all the time. Yeah, what's, what's, what are you, what you been up to? Oh, just hiking, relaxing, reading, my, reading God's word, working and accomplishing things, but not killing myself. That is so countercultural, and that's the life that God wants to live. A life that enters into his rest. It's not about the hustle and bustle. It's about trusting him with your lives. It's about taking all these things, dying to all these things. I don't get my life's purpose from my what? My father and mother, my wife and children, my brothers and sisters. Yes, even my own existence. I don't get my value. I don't get my purpose. I don't get my very, the very core of my life, my identity from these things. I get them from Christ and him alone. Because he is greater. He is a much better savior. He is a much better God than the gods of this world. He is the one that we can trust. Which leads into his wrapping up statement. 
it kind of wraps this all up. Verse, actually, verse 33. He says, everyone, in the, in the same way, therefore, everyone of you who does not renounce all of, all of his possessions cannot be to my disciple. Now, I want to piece this, piece this up, take this apart because it's amazing. Everyone of you who does not, the word for this is apostasy. Which is often tied to this like walking away from your faith. It's walking away from what? Renouncing or forsaking all of your, I love this word, possessions. It doesn't mean possessions. That's kind of how it's often translated. But this word means your very being. Your very existence. Your identity. So basically, possessions, basically he's saying everything that you have and everything that you are. You cannot be my disciple if you don't renounce everything that you are to be my disciple. The spiritual the spiritual reality here this morning as we wrap things up. This is the cost of discipleship for us today. This is why we can still read this passage for us today. For them, it had a very literal sense. But the reason why it's in the Bible is because it applies for, for us today. This is the cost of discipleship. Forsaking our lives, forsaking the world, forsaking everything we used to grasp for to get our identity to get our sense of comfort, to get our sense of security, to get our sense of belonging. Forsaking all these things for the sake of Christ. Because the Lord Jesus is greater. He is better. He is true. And He is truth. And it's because of our love and affection and our identity in Him that we can pour out and love our father and mother, our wife and children our friends and our family, everything else in this life. We don't gain identity from them. We give our identity to them. And our identity is Christ and his love and his grace and his joy. His identity becomes our identity. This is how, you know, many of us, most of us in this room, have walked into and devoted our lives to this reality, to this truth. Does it change your life? Does it change your life? If they see your, if people see your life, do they see a life that Jesus is living through? Or are they seeing you at the steering wheel? Is Jesus your co-pilot or is he your, your pilot and you're the co-pilot? Just enjoying wherever he's taking you. Is your life led by the God of this universe? How does this translate, this reality, that Jesus is your way, Jesus is your truth, and Jesus is your life? How does this translate into your life, the way that you live your life? And this also shifts our perspective of, the, of others around us in our world. This shifts the way that we see the world and see people around us, our coworkers, our family, our friends, our spouses, our children, our cultures, our environment around us. Those outside of Christ in this world don't just get one shot. It's, you know, it's not like you, know, you share the gospel with them and they reject you like, oh, sorry, you're going to Hades. Going to hell in a handbasket. I'll, I'll make the handbasket for you. you. You had your chance. 
Doesn't work that way, does it? No. No. Throughout our lives, there are many chances, many opportunities. So we must continue to press in, press in, create those chances for people to hear and receive the good news of the hope of the gospel. Hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an eternal life in him. There was a story about a guy who, uh, in the beginning of one of John Piper's books, he talks about this man who was like, oh, I'll give my life to Jesus one day, one day. And getting toward the end, he was in the hospital. He wasn't quite on death's door, but he was there. He was at the hospital. And for some reason, God used that moment to stir in him, and he said, I I believe. I want to come to faith. I want to be baptized. And he came to faith. The Holy Spirit just poured himself out on this man with, the, with this pastor friends, you know, and you know, wrapped around him and said, we want to share the gospel with you. And he's like, yes, I'm in. I believe. And then they went home. And they came back to the hospital the next day. And they came into the hospital room, and he was there in the hospital bed, destroyed, weeping, sobbing, like crazy. And the guy's like, what, what is the matter? He's like, I get it. I've wasted my life. I've wasted it. I kept saying one day, one day, one day. And I was living for myself my entire life. I One day, I wasted my life in frivolous, stupid things. And I could have been breathing life into the life that I gave, that I, that I was given. I could have been breathing life into others. I could have been ministering through Jesus to people around me. I could have been having hope for these seasons of my life that I just was broken. I missed it. I wasted it. So don't waste your life. Don't waste your life thinking one day, one day, one day. One day I'll give my life to Jesus. One day I'll go to church. One day I'll connect with people. One day is today. One day is today, right now, as you listen to this message. Give your life to Jesus today if you have not already. We got a baptism. We can fill it up right now. It'll be cold, but we can fill it up right now if you want. Or next week and we can warm it up. Give your life to Jesus. If you have not been baptized, if you come to faith in Jesus, but if you haven't been baptized, come and let's dunk you so that you can proclaim your faith in Jesus Christ. It's good. There come, because there comes a day when there are no more chances, and you don't know when that day is. This is the goodness of John 3. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is speaking about his crucifixion. He will be lifted up, so that anyone who gazes upon him and says, I believe, will be healed. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone uh, who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is eternal life. Jesus Christ is eternal life, and he is offering all of us eternal life. If you will, fish. Or cut bait. 
Choose this day whom you will serve. Get on board. Come on. And if you've committed, if you've said, yes, I'm in, be all in. All in. Be all in to God. And let that all in change your life. Let Jesus change your life. And you will see God's hope and God's grace and God's love and amazing things in your life, in God's history, in his story. After, as these people said yes to Jesus and they got to experience all these incredible things, say yes to Jesus and watch as Jesus does amazing things around you as you walk by his spirit, as you love one another, and as you worship him in your life. We're going to pray here in a minute. But if that's you, if you're saying, that's, that's me, I need, to, I need to be all in. I haven't made that, that proclamation of faith, but I'm ready this morning to do that. I'm ready to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'm in. I want to experience your love. I want to experience your hope. I want to experience your joy, like in a way that I've never experienced before. I, I'm turning to you, Jesus, and proclaiming you as the Lord of my life. I'll be here, um, and, and down here at the front. And if you'd like to come and give your life to the Lord Jesus, I will be here and down front. If you need prayer, I'll, I'm, I'll be here. But take this chance as an opportunity to, for the Lord Jesus is saying to you, come. Change your mind about God. And come and believe. Be all in and watch what I can do. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together. We pray, God, for your Holy Spirit to be resting in our hearts right now, stirring within us a joy and an affection for your goodness, for your presence among us, Lord. God, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, and we thank you that you came to bring the, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God so that we would be with you where you are in your kingdom for all eternity. And as you walk and you dwell within us, among, among us during our life here on earth, God, we just, we pray your blessing on us, that we would walk with you, that you would stir within us a love and an affection. Lord, that you would protect us from the evil one, that you would lead us, not into temptation, but to, to deliver us from the evil one, God. And we do pray, God, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And because we, we trust you, God, for for, your, for our provision every day. Because, Lord, you are our great and holy Father who is in heaven. We are your people, and you are our God. Show us your goodness, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.